the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Happy Monday. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You might feel like that is a random mix of music there, but it is it not. It is not. Very the, intentional. That is the new, uh, that is off the new Kanye West album that dropped. It's still called an album, even though no one actually has an album. Yes, Brian. That dropped this weekend that we are going to start talking about here in just a minute. But uh, again, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, or find our podcast wherever it is that you get your podcast. Let's just dive right into it, man. Uh, Twitter was ablaze. Uh-huh. Was it Friday that the uh, Kanye West album dropped? Yeah, I think so. And uh, and uh, his new album is called Jesus is King. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're the musician of the two of us. How is the album musically? And then I want to get into all the all the craziness that's stirring around it. But musically, just from a, oh, I like the songs. How, what did you think of it? I'll tell you what, Brian. I don't hate it. There you go. <laughs> you say that like you should. But I yeah. know, and it's not. I, I want to be careful about how much I let in on how familiar I am with Kanye. It's not my favorite thing he's done, but I don't. I don't hate it. It's yeah. not. It's not bad. All right. I I've yet to hear it, but um, you, sh- you should listen. To I it. just did right there. That's true. <laughs> that's not a great representation of the entire album, but that's. I would recommend you do that. But there has been a bit of a uh, social media firestorm around Kanye West. He's a lightning rod culturally going uh-huh. all the way back well before this. But you might think about like when he walked up, was it at the VMAs or and uh, and interrupted when Taylor Swift won something. Mm-hmm. And then there's he's a lightning rod married to Kim Kardashian. And uh, but in the last year or so, uh, depending on what you believe. Either God has been doing a really cool thing in Kanye West's life right now. Uh, he started these Sunday services. Now he put out this album that is pretty uh, uh, pretty good Orthodox theology on some of it, right? Or okay, you're, you're again. I haven't listened to it, so there you go. I, <laughs> I was going to say you, you might want to pump the brakes on that a little. You've not listened to it or <laughs> it, read it, so it has theology. <laughs> Every, everything has theology. Uh, but, or on the other hand, you think that he's either embracing Christianity to make more money, to put his name out there, or people, there are some people who just think he's mentally ill. And so that's across the board. And so when he drops this album called Jesus is King, uh, the, the, you know, Patheos comes out with an article called Is Kanye West a Modern Day Saul of Tarsus? Yeah. Is God... Uh, bringing about new life in someone who's a real cultural mover or should we as Christians be really kind of looking at this kind of skeptically kind of a 
We'll see. Let's see what the fruit is going forward. Uh, and so that's painting it with a really broad brush. I'm wondering not just what you have been hearing, but really kind of where your heart is at as you've been reading these stories and tweets and all other well, stuff. Let me, let me just read a little from this article because I think it's a good jumping off point. Yep. It says, uh, when, when West recently declared that he converted to Christianity and that, it, that he would only make gospel music going forward, the evangelical world raised a skeptical eyebrow. When he followed with the creation of a non-traditional Sunday service, which we've talked about on the show, yep. he gained even more skeptics and admirers. He's no stranger to controversy. That's true. He's got a past. Mainstream Christianity is skeptical about whether he's genuinely become a follower of Jesus. All that leads to the comparison of Saul of Tarsus. Think about it for a minute. Here's Saul's own words, and this is from Galatians 1. Uh, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father's. What was the response of the early church when they heard of the radical conversion of this Christian killer? Mm -hmm. Here's what Luke records in Acts 9. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. And I've taught that passage before. Like Mm -hmm. The context there is really, really rich with a lot of tension, a lot of difficulty there. Yeah. He goes on to say, for the early church, the the skepticism was whether or not Saul faked his conversion in order to gain access to the church leadership in an attempt to destroy it. It was only after some time had passed that Saul's conversion was beyond doubt, and he would go on to write almost half of the New Testament. No one is expecting Kanye West (laughs) to go on to write epistles, but his rap songs, music, and influence can influence millions of people for Jesus that will never step foot inside of a church. Uh, But is he really a Christian? Has he genuinely converted, or is this a publicity stunt? Can a Taylor Swift interrupting, Kim Kardashian marrying, Trump supporting, Jesus singing media icon really follow Jesus? Could a Stephen killing, Christian arresting, Pharisee loving Saul of Tarsus ever actually turn to Jesus? It's already happened once. Here's to praying it's happened again, Hmm. which is, I think, really well written and raises all sorts of interesting questions for me. Uh, I have been really fascinated by the divide of the social media response. Some people championing, some people raising an eyebrow, some people much more aggressively than just raising an eyebrow Absolutely. have outright condemned it, outright you know, made their conclusion that he's a hypocrite, which I always find interesting that when it comes to politicians, you know, if a politician claims to be a Christian, we excuse all sorts of behavior, right? <laughs> yes. All sorts of things in their, well, that's their own personal life, I'm, that's not for me to, but they're a Christian. When Kanye holds Sunday services and writes a, an album that I wouldn't say is is necessarily theologically deep or robust, mm-hmm. but it's certainly fervent. Like it actually yeah. reminded me a little bit of when I first came to faith, to be honest, mm. like some of just that energy and almost innocence and the forthrightness with which he's sort of making these declarations. I don't know. I, I listened to it this weekend and I thought, gosh, I really hope this is legit because yeah. I think this could have tremendous impact. That's awesome. I think that the, uh, the slow down, sometimes what we as Christians do, like the rest of culture, is like, now we've got our Christian celebrity. <laughs> like, oh, Kanye's one of us. Now we can hold him. I would, I would pump the brakes on that, right? Like, oh, let's put up. But I don't think there's any reason to look and be skeptical. Well, like, let's be optimistic and be like, hey, man, looks like God is doing something. Uh, let's continue to pray for this guy. Let's see. Let's not hold him up and put him at you know, as like the face of Christianity. I like, shouldn't do that us, with anybody. Exactly. Right. But we tend to do that right. as Christians, as evangelicals. Maybe let's not do that, but let's pray for him and let's be excited. Like, man, God is still active. God is still transforming. And, and man, let's be encouraged by that. Well, okay. I don't know what you think of this. Um, but Russell Moore, <laughs> Russell yeah. Moore, wrote I like an, Russell Moore. He wrote an article and this was 
several years back, by the way. So the article was entitled The Next Billy Graham Might Be Drunk Right Now, <laughs> um, which is very Brennan Manning, right? Yeah. And here's what he said. He says, the next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with the Darwin Fish bumper decal. <laughs> the next Charles Wesley might be a misogynist, profanely spewing hip hop artist right now. The next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house right now. The next Charles Spurgeon might be making posters for a gay pride march right now. The next Mother Teresa might be managing an abortion clinic right now. Mm -hmm. And again, that's a firestorm of a statement, and we are almost out of time, so I can't really unpack that much. But the thought itself, though, that I think sometimes Christians and Christianity can feel so insulated that when we actually see these stories of conversion, right? right? Like my friend Louis Dooley, who was on the show, who was sentenced to life plus 100 years and has a radical conversion to Jesus Christ. I imagine at the time, a lot of people in his life were like, yeah, right, man. Mm. Like, I was just rolling with you two weeks ago. I, I know who you really are. Yep, like, yep. I knowing him personally has given me so much more insight into the ways that we so often, as Christians, as an entity, say, nah, we preach about the God of miracles and we sing songs about yeah. it. But then when we're actually <clears throat> potentially maybe faced with it, we think... Well, not you. Yeah. No, certainly that can't be legit. Yep. And I think I think that's something we need to learn from. Yeah, this article ends. We shouldn't be surprised if the next great evangelist doesn't come from the ranks of Sunday school classes and VBS summer camps. It happened once with Saul of Tarsus. Let's pray it happens again. Either way, let's all commit to pray for Kanye West and his newfound Christian faith. And go listen to Jesus is King. I would recommend it. Yeah, let's let's uh, continue to pray and believe in a God who transforms and still miraculously does things uh, that kind of blow our mind. I'm going to keep asking you about it until you actually listen to it. I'll go listen to uh, give me what the first. Should I listen to the song Jesus is Just King? Listen to the whole album. Listen to the album the way the album was intended to be listened oh, to. You're one of those. Guys. I am one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, coming up next, we are going to talk to somebody that Ian and I are very excited to talk to because we are going to talk about the theology of one of our favorite shows, The Theology of the Office. It's happening. Josh Larson, editor of Think Christian, is going to join us next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You are so happy right now. I am. I am. <laughs> we hope you know the, that music. That is the theme song to one of the best uh Comedy shows, uh, in my opinion, that's ever been on uh, TV, that being The Office. And uh, we have that for a very specific purpose because we are joined on the phone right now by Josh Larson. Josh is the editor of Think Christian and the host and producer of the Think Christian podcast. Uh, Josh is also uh, has helped write an ebook that is the theology of The Office. And we could not be more excited to talk to him. (laughs) So, Josh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much, Brian. Hello, Ian. It's great to be with you. Excellent. We're so glad you're with us. Uh, maybe a uh, big picture view here. What what even uh, intrigued you enough to say, you know what, I want to write about the office and the theology that is a part of it? Yeah, it's really, this is all we do at Think Christian. We explore the pop culture that's out there that's making a huge impact and ask ourselves um, what elements of God's truth might be in it, what ways might it resonate, basically with the pop culture fandom that so many of us share. And you, Mm -hmm. it sounds like, definitely have when it comes to The Office, hearing that music 
puts me right back in the rhythm of expecting <laughs> the show to come on as well. And so many people appreciate um, this program, this series, for its humor, of course, but we really believe when something resonates this strongly, it's because it's tapping into other more universal and even spiritual things, too. So I think, Christian, we like to tease that stuff out, and we thought, let's do it as an ebook this time, a collection of six essays we can offer to people for free, fans of the show who want to say, um, yeah, how might this connect to my faith? Yeah. So that's actually something we were talking about last week when everyone was freaking out about the new Star Wars trailer. And Brian and I kind of dipped a toe in these waters that there's certain things about narrative and storytelling and character development that I think resonate with every human everywhere. And some of what I think that the church can really learn from is like, okay, why are people gravitating towards this particular expression or this particular show or this particular movement? Can you talk to us a little bit more? Because Brian and I are both pastors and I'm always interested like, we love The Office at our church. I think I could speak for our entire church. It shows up a lot. What are some things that maybe we could learn from The Office's success? And what are, like, the things beneath the things that are, like, speaking to some of the deeper human longings? Yeah, well, for example, one distinction in The Office is the way they use the camera, right? How mm. there's this camera crew who's documenting these people at work. And so in my introduction, I write about how um, that breaks the fourth wall where the audience connects with the characters, but we can think about it as the way God breaks the fourth wall in our lives as well. So whenever, say, Jim looks at the camera and rolls his eyes at Michael, in a sense, (laughs) he's acknowledging that you're seeing this too. You're seeing this ridiculousness too. And we think about how the office often does expose someone that way, but think about the other times where it's confidential too. That camera is used for moments of confession. Mm. A lot of times when the characters will go off in a side office by themselves. They'll confess something or even little moments of joy when Pam and Jim will flirt and then they catch the camera catching them Mm. and they offer a little smile. Um, That's an example where that camera is used just acknowledging God sees everything. He sees our foibles, but he also sees our moments of goodness um, and that we can think of him as being part of our lives every day, every moment that way. That's good. Uh, I told you off air that I've got a high school age daughter and literally her and all her friends have seen every episode of The Office probably multiple times. Why do you think, as someone who's thought about these things, why do you think this show has transcended even generations? Like it's, it's having a, a next generation movement and we'll probably keep going through there. It certainly has, and I've experienced the same thing in my house, and I know a lot of people who have, uh, you know, been puzzled at first about why kids, teenagers might be into this short sort of show, especially if they haven't had real-world work experience. Right. One of our essays digs right into that. It's called, This May um, Strike a Bell, But Let Scott's Tots Come Unto Me. <laughs> uh, remember the episode where Absolutely. Michael Scott <laughs> failed so to good. come through with his pledge of uh, college scholarships. <laughs> and that one really highlights how the office is honest about the realities of working as an adult. I think so often we tell kids that if you just work hard, um, do your best, accomplish all these goals as a student, as a teenager, life will be smooth sailing from there on in. And the office is honest about that not being true. And I think kids appreciate that honesty. And it also happens to echo, you know, it's a nice retort to sort of works-based righteousness where we can recognize that, um, you know, we're going to need grace 
throughout our lives, even if we are believers, even after we've come to faith, that doesn't mean that um, we have now accomplished all that there is to accomplish. And in everyday life, things are going to go smoothly. Um, We're still going to need grace. So I think there's some comfort that adults certainly take in that, having experienced it. And I think kids can look ahead and take comfort in that as well. That's fantastic. I, I think if people, if I could just read some of these headings for the essays, I think anyone who's even remotely interested in the office will be hooked because some of them, like one one says, can anything good come out of Scranton? One says the irresponsible joy of Kelly Kapoor. Like that to me, and maybe I'm biased because I also really love the office and I'm a preacher. So like I'm writing our team right now saying, can we please do a teaching series on this? I think this would be Phenomenal. Can you speak yeah. a little bit more to some of those? Like, what was some of your favorite part of the process? Because to the best of my knowledge, no one's done this before. What was that process like, like looking at the office through the lens of theology? Yeah, that was it for me, is just putting the call out there to some of the writers that we regularly work with at Think Christian, say, here, we want to do this project think about The Office, revisit some episodes, and just come back to me with some ideas, like directions you want to go. And uh, a lot of them were just, they wowed me. And can anything good come out of Scranton? That is an excellent one to highlight. Bethany Keeley Yunker wrote that. And it really looked at the fact that this is the most mundane setting you yeah. can imagine. Right. Um, right down to the production design, the way they pay attention to how a cube farm is so beige and and oppressive, and just kind of emphasizing that, and yet, what we see arise from there, especially if we're regular watchers over many seasons, and we recognize the relationships develop, the way that kindness um, and grace, again, can arise out of the most mundane places. There's a lot of cruelty and meanness in this show as well, Mm -hmm, and I think that's the line that it is constantly teasing us with, is how far is this going to go? before um, real relationship pulls it back to someplace good. But just the setting of this show, the way Bethany writes about um, they even managed to redeem like a Chili's restaurant in certain (laughs) episodes by allowing that everyday mundane place to become um, in some instances where um, relationship can be worked out and kindness can be worked out. Yeah, we fight a nickel for every time my wife and I reference the Dundies. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So with like the minute or so we have left, and we could talk about this for hours, uh, this might be like choosing between your children, but do you have a favorite episode uh, if, if, uh, if you had to choose one? Oh, man, I think it is that Dundee's one. I think <laughs> I just because it kind of comes so early on and moves us. What I liked about it is it does move us out of the office space itself, mm-hmm. but you started to recognize the DNA of the show. Um, this tightrope that it's walking, as I mentioned, between cruelty and kindness, that they're going to transfer that even to a different setting when they do the awards at the Chili's, and that that's what this show is going to be interested uh, about, is tracing these kind of mundane, sometimes mean people, and seeing if they can become better people through their relationships, and really rooting for them in that process. Yeah, yeah. I, I got lost the other day with my son. We were watching just clips of, it was entitled on YouTube, uh, Jim's Pranks of Dwight. Yes. And it was awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, yes. <laughs> it was great. Well, Josh, can you remind our audience as we close this up, where can they find this? Where can somebody go if they're like, I totally want to read this ebook? Yes, you can get it for free right at uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, at thinkchristian.net slash the office. So awesome. thinkchristian.net slash the office. If you want to check out our other stuff, just 
check us out at thinkchristian.net, and our podcast, which you can find pretty easily, is also called Think Christian. Great. Well, Josh, we're going to have you on another time to talk yes. about other stuff, but yes. we are, we're super grateful that you joined us. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. And as we said earlier, it's Monday. Mondays of all Mondays. <laughs> Do you know I said it to my kid this morning? But uh, my, my daughter, she was having trouble waking up. I just said, it's Monday, right? And, and, and I was like, oh, that's from our show. <laughs> Even in your voice, I could hear you like, everybody's Brian Fromm and it's, it's Monday. Monday. <laughs> uh, we always uh, like to remind you that we are both pastors. Ian is, is at Community Christian Church in uh, Naperville. I'm at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. And with that, uh, most weeks we preach uh, and love to do so. It's one of the joys of our profession, of our jobs. And uh, from early on in the history of our show, we decided, you know, it'd be fun on Mondays just to talk about what we preached about. Maybe it's helpful for people uh, out there listening. Hopefully people were in church yesterday, but even if they were, they can hear what we talked about. And uh, so I'll go first, but then I'm interested because you said you actually didn't preach this week. And I thought it was for a really cool reason. So and I'm going to make it up. You're, gonna, <laughs> you're like, if I were to have preached we, this we week. We preached in Tolbit. <laughs> on to Maccabees. No, we didn't. <laughs> working our way through Maccabees. That would be fun. So we're working through the book of Daniel, and we were at Daniel chapter 6, which if you've been in churches for any t- length of time in your life, you know is one of the top five most well-known Old Testament stories there is, Daniel and the lion's den. And so uh, I actually started with that. I told our people, I said, listen, uh, sometimes I have to consciously remind myself that, like, just because we know how the story ends doesn't mean they knew how the story yeah, ends. Yeah, that's very hard to do. Exactly. So Daniel went into the lion's den not going, well, this is going to be a fun night with some cats because God's going to let me out for sure. What a great sermon illustration this is going to be. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, can I, as a tangent, a complete tangent, I totally missed an easy an easy joke. <laughs> you and I, are, our football teams are rivals. And, uh-huh. uh, yesterday, sorry. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> not real life our, rivals. Our whole church knows that I'm a diehard New York Giants fan, and they were playing the lion's yesterday and I didn't make a joke about it. Oh, I thought it. for sure you would have. Not even mention that, but our quarterback's name is Daniel. I know. <laughs> After the second service, I'm like, no, Daniel in the lion's den. It was right there for oh, me. Oh, my little pun heart is breaking. Oh, do you ever have those moments you're done preaching? You're like, no, wait, no, I got it. I got it. Oh, uh, constantly. Con- <laughs> so, are you kidding me? Please. All the time. The, the Daniel and the, if you're if you're from my church and you're out there, you're going, just think to yourself, if I'd said Daniel in the lion's den, related <laughs> just, it to football, you should, you it would have been funny. It would have been you funny. You should edit the online audio yes. just like a robot like also the lion's den like, i don't remember him making that joke my yesterday. favorite quarterback daniel is playing the lion's den today uh so anyway uh we talked about the story and i basically asked the question why would daniel have he he clearly knew if he went and prayed he was going to end up in the lion's den or he could and so why not wait 30 days right why not hide uh and that spun into a conversation about i believe daniel was driven uh, throughout the book of Daniel by conviction. Like he said, his name is God is my judge. And he's like, I'm right. going to let the chips fall where they may. Right. And we walk through um, walk through the Bible, the early church, even in some early church history with Polycarp. People were like, yeah, I don't want to get burned at the stake, but I'm not going to right. deny my God. Right. right. And uh, so talked about in our culture, what does that even look like now? Uh, and just talked about 
what does it look like for us to trust that God is good and God is sovereign mm-hmm. and God it can be trusted even when your circumstances are crumbling around you? Right. So, uh, enjoyed it and then obviously made the point at the end about it's hard to look at Daniel in the lion's den and not think about Jesus, right? Like he was sealed in the lion's den, Jesus sealed in the tomb mm-hmm. and walked out of there and uh, tried to get very gospely. At the end, Scott, my uh, the assistant at my church, he just goes pretty gospely at the end. I said, "Yeah." <laughs> what does he, it mean for he, Brian Fromm to get pretty gospely? No, no, literally talking about the gospel out of the okay, Old Testament. Okay, not He's like, like way to go. Good not like gospel. sweat rag no, and there's no, an no, organ no. in the background. Okay, <laughs> wrong gospel. I want to make sure that I'm picturing the right I thing. Sang it all. <laughs> just, I went. Everything just rhymed yes. at the end. Oh, that'd be awesome. You should do that sometime. Sometime it would really fit me. Yes, it would. <laughs> Sounds like it. Uh, so you didn't preach, no, nope. but. Uh, I thought for a really cool reason. Uh, can you, to, uh, if you would, tell us why you didn't preach yesterday? Because you generally preach, if not at the Yellow Box, you'll preach in the city at yeah, one of the campuses. Locations, so yeah. you're generally preaching almost every week. That's right. Yeah, I'm not at liberty to disclose the reason I didn't, though. So if we could just move on. Perfect. Be, <laughs> perfect. So we got four minutes left. <laughs> no, it was uh, Child Dedication Sunday across all our locations. And I actually really, not to brag on our church, but here we oh. go. Uh, I love the way that we do it um, because... It's weird too. Be a lot of bigger churches have given us a hard time for still doing it this way because it like quote takes up too much time, oh. and we've just committed to like no. It's it's important that we are spending time with our families that we're commissioning them that we're blessing them, yeah, and that we communicate that to our whole family that this is a value. So uh, at each of our services, there was a whole bunch of families, and they come up on stage, and we ask a a question of intent, and then mm-hmm. uh, we invite staff on stage to pray over each family, and then we invite the church to kind of pray and bless them. And we sort of, I mean, it's a really beautiful, awesome. and it, I, I thought it was beautiful even before I had kids, yeah. but actually, you know, we dedicated Redmond yesterday and, you know, my family drove in from Detroit and her parents were there and her brother, it was just a really cool, it's awesome, like family event. And so I, I requested that Sunday off so that we could, you know, just kind of spend time with family, which I also have a whole lot more respect now for people that have to, you know, for whatever reason, have their kids in services. That is terrifying. <laughs> we Just for the few minutes that we had our two little kids, I was like, how do people do this week in and week out? This is bonkers. So that was, uh, yeah, really I, you know, good. it was emotional. And we had them over to our house and it was great. But the, the sermon, though, we're in this series called Breakthrough. And mm-hmm. the sermon, we're going through the book of Acts. And I'll just kind of give the brief yeah. kind of overview. It's all from Acts 10. And it's uh, this really bizarre dream that Peter has with, you know, a sheet coming down yeah. and all these hooved animals and God says kill and eat and Peter says surely not and he says don't call unclean what I have declared clean and then he you know meets this guy Cornelius and there's this whole like Jew Gentile bizarre I mean there's a lot of context there that we yep, don't yep. understand but it, it really the whole premise was uh, Peter saying no way and then God saying there's no way you can stop this mm. that was sort of our like refrain like what are the things in our life that we stand back from and say no there's no way there's yeah. no way and God says man there's no way you can stop me. Like there's, mm. there's just this bigness of, of God that you see in this, you know, because up until this point, you know, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus still had kind of like remained a like kind of Jewish right focused entity. And it was starting to expand out as he promised in Acts one. Right. Not just Jerusalem, but Judea, Samaria and to the end of the earth. Mm-hmm. And this was sort of like that first venture into this other territory mm. that was very, very unsettling for Peter and a lot of those first Christians. And I just, it was a great, it was a great topic, a great talk and yeah. something that I thought was, was kind of convicting. That's awesome. I, I wanted to make sure people heard about your child dedication. Cause I think sometimes, uh, it's really fun. Uh, we dedicated our kids at our church, whichever church oh, cool. we've been at. And, and 
it's a really fun experience to be like, no, I'm not like above you. Yeah, or, right. Not even above, apart from you. Right. Not, this is my church family. Like yep. this is. So we're going to go through the same steps. We ask all of you, and or, we need your help as much as anybody, right? Exactly. Like I'm going to be up here, not the not the guy with the microphone on the stage dedicating the kids. I'm going to be the one up here next to my right. spouse with my kids uh-huh. and asking you to pray for us. I think it's just such a cool picture that it's weird because everyone like knows. Oh yeah, no, of course that happens. But then when you're actually there, I right. always got comments like, "It was really nice to see you up I there." Did and you, too, and you're actually. Like, it's funny that you say that. Yeah. A couple people say. Gosh, how moving they saw. They felt that it was just to see us up there with our family. And I thought, I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even really think about it. Yeah. And like, Owen was squirmy and Redmond spit up on me the moment we started praying. And like all the family stuff. Like it was just this yeah. normal, you know. And I had a couple people say, man, that's a good reminder that you're you're as much a part of this family as the rest of us. And yeah. I thought, well, God, I'm glad that that was encouraging. <laughs> that spit up is reminding <laughs> yeah. you of that. Right. I can smell it on me right now. <laughs> well, that's what we preached. We hope that you were able to spend some time in worship yesterday and were blessed by whatever uh, teaching you heard. But hopefully that helped you as well. Coming up next, uh, we are going to talk about a Christian artist who says that Christians must learn to talk about controversial topics. Let's wrestle with that controversial topic next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us here on this Monday afternoon. Hope you had a great weekend and a great first day of the week. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That is The Common Good Radio Show. We put up all sorts of things, uh, interviews we've done. We put up articles we've referenced. Uh, when we, we just did two segments ago, the guy who talking about theology of the office. We'd so love good. to hear some stuff there. So it, good. And the number one thing that made me want to do is go home and watch The Office. Oh, <laughs> most everything I do makes me want to go home and watch go The Office. And watch the office. <laughs> it is just so fascinating. We weren't able to talk about it too much with them, but like... Uh, not to dive too much into this, but the number of shows that were huge when I was younger, yeah, that just go away, right? Whether it be even like Friends is trying to have a resurgence, but now you watch Friends and you're like, yeah, that doesn't hold. Like it's different. I know the Office just does, but though, the man. Office and Seinfeld, like those two, it feels like my grandkids are gonna be like, Grandpa, did you watch The Office? Yes, I yes, did. Son. I did too. I lived The so Office. It- <laughs> <laughs> I was there when it came out. <laughs> what? I was born in Scranton. I weren't. I love his point about Scranton, though, that he made in the interview. So good. Scranton is just a uh, it's not a nothing town, but it is exactly what he determined. Like, it's just kind of every town USA. So anyway, if you missed that uh, interview, you can go to the podcast. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead. Subscribe, rate, review. uh, And we are grateful for those of you who do listen by our podcast. I'm always surprised. It feels like every week at church or somewhere else, people are like, oh, yeah, I really enjoy. I listen to you on the podcast every now and then. And you're like, Really? Oh, I feel awesome. like that's your general posture. The really posture? Really? I'm, so, I'm super surprised. That's always how you talk about it. I was really surprised. Somebody yeah, said yeah. they... You know who else talks about it that way? You. <laughs> uh, not like you do. No, sir. Both like, really? Okay, great. <laughs> Coming out of Christian headlines, uh, were you a fan of Skillet? I feel like they were pretty um, a little more of a hard rock uh, Christian band, no? Well, I don't want to dive too deep into this. I was really into the first album, and then okay. they lost me. Late 90s? Mid 90s? Late 90s yeah, Skillet? probably okay. mid 90s, yeah. So Skillet, uh, in the uh, Christian music world, and uh, John Cooper of Skillet, who you reminded me right before we started this segment was also the same guy who came out hard and made references when the Hillsong um, Marty Sampson Marty Sampson yeah. kind of came out and said I'm doubting my faith or I'm giving up on my faith it was John yep. Cooper I, I didn't link the two yep. 
Uh, But John Cooper then came out again this week. He told The Blaze that the church is full of really good people, but that Christians need to learn how to have tough conversations with people. Uh, What is going on with uh, John Cooper and some of the stuff he believes here? The article leads off by saying lead singer of the band Skillet says the Christian church needs to stop worrying about offending people. Mm. Some people are already offended. But here's here's what he said. Uh, Literally everybody that works for me is fairly hyper liberal, atheist, agnostic out of my 15 employees, which... I can't believe he has 15 employees. Mm-hmm. Well, over half of them, we wouldn't agree on anything about anything, Cooper said, but we're best friends. He also warned about using social media to debate with others. Uh, everybody wants their little bite, Cooper said, and I'm not here to say what you're doing is wrong. I'm here to say what we're all doing is wrong. In relationship, you can begin to have those conversations. There are tons of things to talk about, and by that uh, may mean talking about hot-button issues that Christians would otherwise avoid. He says, my pastor talks to me about the way I raise my kids in a relational way. The church could be doing a better job. I do think that we're afraid, and I don't think that's good. Hmm. So I'll stop there. There's a couple other comments that we might have time to get to. But do you think that his general assessment is accurate? Do you find that Christians are more fearful than confident in addressing hot-button issues or is your experience the opposite? Uh, my experience, I feel like, is the opposite. When I when I read this short article that uh, with his quotes, I feel like I really agree with some of it and really disagree with some of it simultaneously. <laughs> what I do appreciate is he's like in relationship, begin to have these conversations because here's what I see with a lot of. Uh, uh, a lot of painting with a broad brush, a lot of Christians these days is not doing these conversations only in relationship, but doing it on Facebook or doing it in other places. I feel like sometimes there are, there are some people who are too anxious to have the quote unquote hard conversations. But apart from relationship, it really lacks effectiveness. So when he says, you know, in relationship, I'm like, yes, we need to in relationship, both within the church, you know, you and I. In relationship, need to be able to have hard conversations with each other. Other people, you know, maybe you've got that relationship with your neighbor where you can start to go and have hard conversations. But I don't think it's having hard conversations for the sake of having hard conversations. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, this whole stop worrying about offending people. I think is really a slippery slope to, hmm. hey, go out there and be a jerk. Like, be out there. Be in people's face. Because Jesus think, is the way. Yeah, I don't think we <laughs> – I just don't – I don't think we need more of that in our culture. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird needle to thread, though, too, because I, I get what he's getting at. I do, too. There is a – in some cases, you know, we were just reading in Acts where Peter and John were being threatened by this really established, powerful religious council, and they said, stop. And they yes. said, mm, hard pass. And yes. then they went back and then they prayed for more boldness. And I think, okay, there's something to that, though. In the in the face of threats, they said, God, give us more boldness. Give us mm-hmm. more courage. What drives me a little crazy, this is how the article ends. This is Cooper speaking. He says, I just want to make a call to the church to grab hold again to the preeminence of the word of God and the absolute truth that Jesus is the way. Here's the rub for me. Mm-hmm. So often, if someone... if someone adopts a different tact or a different approach or a different missiology... Some Christians will assume, oh, they're, they've let go of the preeminence of the word of God, mm. or they're no longer a believer in the authority of scripture, rather than, I wonder if their reading is leading them to a different approach or a yeah. different tact, or to read these texts differently, to understand this application differently, or to see our response as a community differently. So often it's this either or, like yeah. Christians are becoming wimpy, which means they no longer believe Jesus is the way, which of course means they, they no longer value the authority of scripture. Which, again, is, I'm sure, true in some cases, but this, like, I don't know, this cause and effect is very um, straw man, a little black and white for me yeah. sometimes, and I think 
Again, yes, I think there are plenty of cases where Christians need to be bolder. Yep. There are plenty of other times where I think Christians need to maybe speak less. Yes. We need to say, I don't know a whole lot about your particular worldview. I don't know a whole lot about your experience. Help me learn. Mm. Help me love you well in the midst of our disagreements. Yep. And sometimes loving well means telling hard truths. Sometimes loving well means zipping your mouth. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're both in the same. That's and really I good. think for us to create this like either or, like, wow, for Christians to not speak out against this, they're cowardly, they don't love Jesus, and they don't care about the Bible. Yeah. Like, I don't know that that's necessarily true at all. Yeah, that's a good point. They, you know, you think about in Acts, they were certainly really bold, and they also went to their, their community and said, please pray that we'll be bold. Like, it wasn't right. like this, we're just going to go out there and be bold. And we're just gonna, they were like, right. no, that, this feels like an important thing enough that we need you to pray right. that we will be bold. Right. There's plenty of other places in Scripture where it's like, uh, be meek, be humble. Be yeah, quiet. right. I just worry about like uh, some of the rhetoric here of like, we need to stop worrying about offending people. We need to, uh, well, you know, the gospel is offensive. I'm not sure we are called to be offensive. <laughs> and, you know, we, yes, there's a place for boldness. There's a place for hard conversation. That's what I want to go back to in relationship. And uh, just because they're your Facebook friends doesn't mean that that's a relationship. Yeah. Uh, and so there is a slippery slope here, I think, to us being uh, just kind of angry and mean spirited uh, in the name of I'm standing up for what I believe in. Yeah. And I, I think we forget so easily Romans two. It says, God, it's your, it's your loving kindness that leads people to repentance. Mm. Right. Like, I don't know anyone who's ever been bullied into genuine faith mm-hmm. ever or for that matter, while we're ranting guilted. I, yeah. I, I think. To, to say that someone is guilty of sin, yes, I, I believe that in a in an orthodox sense. But I've never met anyone who was genuinely guilted or bullied or fear-mongered into a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, yep. ever. I've never seen that happen. Now, I'm not saying that I haven't seen that play out. That's led to, you know, a helpful conclusion. I don't think televangelism is a great missiology, but I know that people have encountered God yes. through televangelists. So that, you know, is complicated, obviously. But I just think... That is a t- and again he's a Christian celebrity who's trying to call the church to something that I think is is good and right in some ways. It just feels a little one sided. Agreed, agreed. Well, kind of along the same vein, uh, when we come back, coming up next, a New York Times had a really interesting article just yesterday, just on Sunday, uh, titled "This: We're Less and Less a Christian Nation, and I Blame Some Blowhards." Hmm. We're going to discuss Nicholas Kristof's article in the New York Times coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Monday. I thought we were doing Kanye now. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to be a regular part of the show. Yes, just coming back at all times. (laughs) You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, you can find us online at 1160hope.com and our podcast. Where could they find our podcast? Wherever they I please. Mean, anywhere. Just anywhere. Under a rock, down by the, <laughs> down by the creek. <laughs> down by the creek. On top of a shoe store. Podcast, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, you, go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. When you say uh, go ahead, it reminds me of the boss in Office Space. Why don't you go ahead and... Uh, 
Am I up? I have, to, I have to go ahead and subscribe. Why does it feel like every every day I have to keep saying something like, oh, I've never seen that, or listen, I've never seen the office space. It's not the office space. Office space. Just office space. I've never seen office space. You need to write that wrong immediately. Why? Just, have, I'll do the rest of the show. I have go. such a long list of things. Like, I need to go home and tell my wife, hey, Ian's giving me homework. I got to watch office space. I have to listen to the Kanye album. I have to... <laughs> That's a two-item list. There was one more Brian, from last that's... week that I forget. I don't even know what it was, but I haven't accomplished it yet. There was I thought one you were going to keep week. going. I was like, that's not that many. I was trying to remember the one from last week. There was one that I was supposed to do last week and haven't done. Now I've got to go read the theology of the office. i got all sorts of homework from what here. What do you mean have to? Oh, you want excited. to. You just downloaded I am, it. I am super excited to read that. If you didn't hear Josh Larson uh, in the first hour... Uh, go ahead and and go listen to that on podcast. Go ahead and go ahead and go listen to it. This is going to get bad. <laughs> this is going to get bad. He uh, he wrote an ebook with some others about the theology of the show, The Office. So we're excited. We were excited to have him on. Go ahead and listen to that. I did it for you right there. That <laughs> thanks, one, thanks. That last one was for wow, you. Wow, I feel so loved. Uh, taking a hard right turn into uh, just uh, some deeper topics here. New York Times, Nicholas Kristof, who let's just be honest. Both Nicholas Kristof and the New York Times are pretty progressively left-leaning. But he has wrote an opinion piece in yesterday's New York Times. You can find it at NewYorkTimes.com. An opinion piece uh, entitled this, We're less and less a Christian nation, and I blame some blowhards. Uh, So he is actually wrestling with some of the same data you and I discussed last week as to, okay, we seem to have these polls coming out. So Pew Research... Uh, He writes, perhaps for the first time since the United States was established, a majority of young adults here do not identify as Christian. And then he goes to the Pew Research stuff we talked about last week. Only 49% of millennials consider themselves Christian, compared with 84% of Americans in their mid-70s or older, according to the new report of the Pew Research. Uh, He says the Pew study concludes U.S. is steadily becoming less Christian and less religiously vigorous. And so... You and I had that discussion last week about what could be some of the reasons. And let me just point out some of his reasoning here, and then I'd love for you to react to it. He says, some of the religious right will thunder thunder at this as a result of a secular war on Christianity. Christians and Christianities are mocked, belittled, smeared, and attacked, declared an essay on Fox News' website, uh, plaintively titled, How Long Will I Be Allowed to Remain a Christian? Uh, This mockery of Christians is, as I've written many times before, both real and wrong. But a far bigger threat to the, quote, brand of Christianity comes, he thinks, from religious blowhards who have entangled faith with bigotry, sexism, homophobia, and xenophobia. Here's the money line. For some young people, Christianity is associated less with love than uh, than with hate. So let's just pause there. So his premise is because of what the figureheads of Christianity, how they've talked and what they've linked more the overall evangelical Christian movement towards, uh, people are seeing it more as a hateful movement than as one based on love and grace. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I, I mean, I appreciate what he said, that the mockery of Christians is, as I've written many times, both real and wrong. So. The mockery isn't made up, correct? you know, and we've had this conversation a number of times. In fact, we've had people write into the show and say, hey, there's this particular story that I heard of this guy that was removed from a degree program or was fired from mm-hmm. his job. Like all of that is very real. So I don't want to say at all that like there isn't anything 
with regards to persecution or mockery. And we have talked at length about how we define persecution in this country is a good deal different than a lot of our brothers and sisters across the globe. You know, that notwithstanding, I think I think he's on to something here, particularly when it comes to and he put it in quotes, the brand of Christianity, which mm-hmm. I already have some issues with. Yep. Obviously, we keep it in quotes. <laughs> right. Yes. It belongs there. That's why I said it. But I think that there is something to be said about a millennial Gen Z posturing towards a leading with their gut that if they see a, as he calls like a chest thumping aggressive, and he goes on to list some other pretty awful, this is painting with a broad brush, obviously, because I know plenty of Christians that stand against bigotry, sexism, homophobia, and xenophobia, like he writes, but there is an unfortunate presence, I think of, and we mentioned this a little bit earlier in the show, even that there's a, there's a request to trust the private prayer of someone's heart in a disregard of their public discourse. Like, why can't we just, why do you have to Gen Z millennials question whether or not they're Christian? And they're, I think asking really honest, transparent questions like, well, I'm not doubting that maybe he prayed a prayer or she was baptized, but I'm looking at their behavior in the public forum. And it seems very not Christ-like, which is not to say that you and I don't have plenty and we're pastors, you know? So I'm not saying, Oh, real Christians only ever always talk like Jesus of Nazareth. Like we both know that's not true, Yep. but I think Gen Z's and millennials are asking really tough, important questions or just walking away entirely. And they're saying, all right, so you're telling me this on, on Sundays, but then these are the people we're aligning ourselves with. Right. That behavior we're excusing. No, I don't have any interest in that. So he goes on to say, uh, it's really interesting. I like this part there. He says, uh, this kind of feeling that Christianity is more now about hate than love or anything like this. He goes, but that is uh, the opposite of the Christianity whose heroic side I've this being Christoph has often praised a Catholic doctor in Sudan's Nuba mountains, a missionary doctor in Angola nuns everywhere. If they were the face of Christianity, its reputation would be golden. Likewise, hmm. Christian organizations like international justice mission, mercy ships, Catholic relief services and world vision labor to make the world a better place. In fact, across America, a crucial safety net comes from churches organizing food pantries and emergency shelters. He then says surveys find that religious Americans donate more to charity than secular Americans and are substantially more likely to volunteer. Hmm. In fact, in a Pew survey in 2016, almost two thirds of highly religious Americans said that they've donated time, money or goods to help the poor in the last week. And that's where the dissonance comes in. Right. Someone like him is going even Wow, actually, the grassroots Christianity evangelicalism that I see in our country is doing a lot of good. Right. It's really, uh, you know, trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And he's saying, but the people we hold up and we hear from the most don't match that. And, And it's that dissonance that you pointed out, I think, that people are really either wrestling with or disregarding. Well, a lot of it comes down to information streams, too. Like, you know, we we've talked about this is sort of anecdotal, but like the the weight of opening Netflix and trying to decide what am I going to watch? And you just have to like weed through so much. It's why recommendations are so helpful in that regard. The voices of Christianity that make it to the top are sometimes curated in a very peculiar way. And they are on, I think you and I plenty of times have said, I know that's the most famous Christian voice right now. Yeah. I don't align with that. Right. But there's no real way. I mean, I know that we have a radio show and there's a point, you know, we have our, our small opportunity as a church. But I think that there is a, a real frustration when people say, wait a minute, I've been a Christian my whole life mm-hmm. and I disagree with everything that that prominent right. Christian leader is saying. I think this is interesting. It says the decline in religion is particularly evident among young people. Those born between 1928 and 1945 are only two percentage points less likely to identify as Christian than they were a decade ago, while millennials are 16 percentage points less likely to call themselves Christians. So Mm. there is a real disparity. There's a decline in general, and we're seeing a decline 
in black and Hispanic communities, even though they're more likely to attend church, that's dropping too. And I think a lot of it comes from the article later outlines how some prominent Christian leaders after 9-11 said, oh, yeah, God brought this on to us uh, yep. because of, uh, you know, our gays and lesbians. Yep. And uh, like that, I think people who might even be that on has the a long fence, lasting effect. Yeah, yeah. People remember that stuff. And I think that 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 can be more harmful than maybe those of us who were raised in the church really realize. And a lot of us, you know, we always say the mantra that, you know, you look for a perfect church, you're going to be looking for a long time. Like people make mistakes. But with that said, Christoph writes, the central issue is that faith is supposed to provide moral guidance and many moralizing figures on the evangelical right don't impress young people as moral at all. Oh, man. And that's a real, that's something we really have to wrestle with. And so we would love your your feedback on this. Uh, Nicholas Christoph, again, out of... The New York Times writing, we're less and less a Christian nation, and I blame some blowhards. We would we would love to get your feedback at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next, we are going to be joined in studio by Sari Lash. And this is going to be a great conversation about uh, kind of more young people looking for jobs. What does that look like? But also, how does work and the gospel and psychology, how do they intersect with each other? Uh, she's going to join us in studio next here on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us, as always, on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, uh, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, and find the podcast wherever it is uh, you get your podcast. So we are, uh, Ian and I, both pastors. We love to talk. We like to talk about various <laughs> subjects. But what I think we have found most enjoyable is having people in studio to Amen. just kind of come in that we can learn. I've learned a lot from so many of the people coming through here. And so with that said, we are joined right now in studio by Sari Lash. I got your name right and everything. You right nailed there. it. I'm nailed so it. proud of you, Brian. Yeah, well this done. is big. <laughs> I, could, I could be done for the segment. I am done. Uh, and so thank you so much for joining us. Glad to have you here. Oh my gosh, this is great. This great. is fun. Well, uh, something we've been doing with our guests is just saying, instead of us reading your bio and telling people about you, tell us whatever you want to tell us oh, about you. Oh, wow. This is a completely blank landscape. <laughs> I am a self-made woman in this moment. No, so I am, am a marketer and and graphic designer, and I do a bit of content writing as well over at a place called 25 North Coworking. Awesome. Um, but I'm also really passionate about the intersection of psychology, the gospel, and the working mm. world. Um, yeah, so I'm really passionate about developing people from a holistic standpoint. And with that said, I'm also getting my master's degree right now in mental health counseling from Trinity out in Deerfield. So Look at you. So not, not doing a whole collide. lot. Then, no, I mean, my life is so chill. I eat a lot of bonbons. It's great. My life is so chill. All right. I want to ask you about all those things because I'm interested in all the words you just said. But I want to in particular ask you about this article on Medium.com and says how I landed my dream job at 23. It's brilliantly written. Tell us a little bit about the article, why you wrote it. What are are kind of some of the big boulders of that article? Yeah. So this article was really born out of my own struggle to find my place Um, years ago. Had just graduated, kind of was floundering my way towards the working world with a bachelor's degree in, you know, a field I wasn't even sure that I was passionate about. Mm. And, um, you know, just definitely experiencing the struggle of those first couple of years. Right. Who am I? What am I about? Um, how do I find a job that I don't hate? Um, <laughs> and yeah, so a couple of things that I really wish that I'd known sooner were, um, you know, how to network well, how mm. to really hunt for a job culture that's going to support you and let you thrive. Um, yeah, there's so many things I wish I'd known sooner. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get that. 
So uh, I'm going to sound like the old guy in the room again, right? Like I, I, all I ever hear is that people coming out of college now, it's just so hard to find a job. It's sure. just really difficult. And there might be people out there going, hey, I love the idea of not settling, but I need a job, right? Right. So what would you tell those people? Because I love the, the, the concept of this article is like kind of dreaming big and, and yeah. going for it. So what would you tell those people? Oh, I'd say, I mean, honestly, it, it's okay to settle mm-hmm. on some level. Like, hmm. I get it. There are material needs that you need to take care <laughs> yes, of. You right. need to have a place to live. And you know what? You're not going to, you might not get the dream job, mm-hmm. you know, two years into your career. And that's okay. That's um, yeah, I would say that the thing that I find hopeful is the sense that you can make decisions that are not based out of fear, right. um, even when it comes to your career. And maybe that means taking a job that you don't really love, but you know that, you know, on the long run, it's going to be okay. And mm-hmm. you don't have to stay there forever. You know, just because you do something that you aren't super in love with, you're not, you're not going to be trapped. You don't mm-hmm. have to be stuck. That's really good. Mm-hmm. All right. The line that I think kind of anchors the whole thing, you said work for a great company and you're far more likely to enjoy your role in it. And then it's followed by this. You said, here's a hint. A company culture might be toxic if the job description is vague and all-encompassing. Talk to us a little bit more about how important it is to determine and assess the culture of a company and not just, oh, look at the salary amount or look at the title I get or look at the office that I get. Like I feel like that's, in a lot of ways counterintuitive to really ask questions and assess the culture itself. Sure. Yeah. So it, what's interesting here is, you know, the phrase, you know, people don't leave roles, they leave bosses. Ooh, yeah, um, right. And I do think it's, it's so important to evaluate, right. You know, it, is it, is it going to be a catchy job description or is this going to be a place where I actually am going to be able to thrive right. on the long run? You know, getting to the heart of that is so important. And I would say a couple key markers for that really would be, you know, does this job give me the flexibility that I want Mm. to live a life that I'm still really excited about? Or Mm. maybe you do want to have a job that's very all encompassing and that's okay too. But, Mm. um, you know, making sure that that culture is still leaving room for you to live a holistic life. Right. Um, right. and then also just taking advantage of that portion of the interview where someone asks you, you know, what questions do you have for me? Oh my gosh, that's your wide open opportunity to really ask like, cultural questions of the interviewer like you know what are you most excited about Mm. of the culture of this organization what are you building towards where do you see this thing in five years Mm. stuff like that that's great yeah so what made your current job your dream job Oh my gosh. Great question. <laughs> okay. So the place that I work is called 25 North Coworking. Um, it's a shared workspace that is mm. high hospitality, very interconnected. Um, it's, it is my dream job because it has that, um, you know, I, I was really looking for a place that, was going to give me a lot of person-to-person interaction, Mm. a lot of ability to kind of create my own job description to a degree. Um, I think a lot of managers make the error of really micromanaging, honestly, um, and trying to clamp down to try to get the most out of their employees when, in fact, if you just give your people a little bit of latitude to run with the things they're already good at, Oh my gosh, they're mm. just going to they're going to take that and run. Like right. that is so exciting. And as a young person, honestly, mm. in your career to be trusted and given authority in a role is just huge. That's and massive. so yeah, um that's things that I've found at this organization that I just love. That's great. Mm-hmm. All right, so one of the things that you mentioned in this article, it's actually a topic that Brian and I find ourselves going back to a lot is the idea of being open to the unexpected. And yeah. we'll frame that in a number of different ways, but 
the way that you talk about it in this particular conversation, I think is so helpful. Can you talk a little bit more about what it looks like to be open to the unexpected? Yeah. So the way that I framed this up was really, um, yeah, being willing to find a job either either from a place um, or at a time that you didn't think was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, that honestly looked like, don't tell anybody this. I know this is the radio. This won't get around. It's fine. Um, but I, no one's listening. No, no, um, no but I actually found um, you know this role at my dream job when I was attending a networking event on behalf no. of a former employer. Uh, yeah, so that's not bad at all. But no, it was really being able to have your ear to the ground. I think a concept right. that I I actually stole from um, a woman called Twyla Tharp who writes about a creative habit. But what she talks about is scratching for inspiration. Mm. Um, And it's basically spend your free time getting curious about, you know, your future job opportunities or, you know, do a little digging on LinkedIn or go to a networking event when you don't feel the pressure Mm. to have to network. You know, when you're not in the middle of needing to make a job transition, it takes a lot of that pressure off and it helps you get an idea later for what you actually might be looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got your dream job right now and things are going well. Why go back to school? It says you're pursuing a master's degree in mental health counseling. That sounds like a lot. And most (laughs) some people might think, well, you've got the great job that you like. Why add the pressures of school and everything? What's it? What is your hope with that? So I um, am just a firm believer that when the leader of an organization is thriving, everyone else does, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think ongoing education is a huge part of that. Um, Mm. And honestly, in a world where I want to be able to um, really develop and invest in the next the younger generations of the workforce, I think having a mental health informed background Mm. and higher education training is just endlessly applicable. Um, Yeah, that's something I'm just so excited about and couldn't talk enough about. That's awesome. So something I know about you and maybe this will spill over into the next segment, but you you see this really sacred linkage between work and worship. Mm. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think it really places too much pressure on the role of a job in your life to let that be your ultimate identity marker. Right, right. Um, and that's just so crushing. And mm. I, I think if you flip that lens from, you know, my job is who I am, my job is what I do. It's no, I am a worshiper first and foremost. Mm. Like I want to worship God in every aspect of my life. Mm. And then my work and my vocation is just another piece of that. Mm. I think it's so, it's so freeing and it takes a lot of the pressure off of even the young adult job hunt that I experienced where, right. You're like, you know, if I don't have something cool to tell people at the next event, like (laughs) you know what I'm doing, like who am I and am I even valuable? And I think taking the pressure off of that and instead Right. Having an understanding of that as, you know, an outflow of being a worshiper is Mm. so freeing. That's awesome. Well, we're excited to be joined right now by Sari Lash. And uh, we have a lot more to talk about. She said she's fired up about the three-way intersection of psychology, the gospel, and the working world. I'm excited to talk about that. So she's going to stay with us here and uh, continue with us next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Monday evening. Hope you're having a great day. Well, we are excited to be uh, joined in studio again by Sari Lash. Ta-da. There you go. <laughs> Probably the first to to nod themselves, I think. That's uh, Why not? I want to cut that out and use that as our interest. (laughs) You're welcome for that. So pleasant. I left my legacy. There you go. 
Your people will talk to our people. We'll get into yeah. it. Uh, Sarah is a marketer, designer, and content writer at 25 North Coworking. Is that 25 North or 25N? 25 North. Okay, but, that's what I so, thought. You know, if you want to say 25N, we won't That's how it's written, you. but I want to make sure that's how it is. Also, just recently <laughs> wrote an article on Medium.com called How I Landed My Dream Job at 23. Uh, so in this bio you send us, uh, it says this, you get fired up about the three-way intersection of psychology, the gospel, in the working world. Uh, help us understand more about that intersection. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, <laughs> we have 10 minutes. So right, have yeah, plenty endless of time. time. Um, yeah, I, I really think, um, especially in this ongoing um, age where these younger two generations, millennials and Gen Z, really are entering the workforce, mm-hmm. um, there's more... Uh, there is more welcoming of mental health language in mm. common spaces. Mm. Um, and I think that is so beneficial. Um, we're bringing issues to the table um, that have been really pushed pushed down. Mm. Um, and I think that gives yeah a lot of opportunity for really rich conversations about, yeah. yeah, how mental health can be spoken into from a gospel standpoint, how all of that is affected by your working life, which is a big portion of your life. That's right. Um, yeah. And, and I think all of those things, they're, they're so interchangeable, um, and there's so many ways that they influence the other. Mm. Yeah. So how, how do you feel the church is done in that conversation? Because, again, that's another topic that comes up all the time on the show is the church and mental health. And so often, and we've had you know Dr. Marshall Vaughn on the show and Dr. Rachel Shannon yeah. and other people that I know that you know, and people that I think have helped kind of expand our understanding of practical ways to do exactly what you're talking about. If we see this progression in the workplace, we're like, okay, we're destigmatizing sure. some of the language. Yeah. Do you see the church doing that? If so, how? If not, what can we do better or differently? Yeah. Wow. That's a hefty question. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think there are some churches that I've seen um, that I've been really personally encouraged by that have developed counseling centers Mm -hmm. in their own, um, you know, like they've built actual physical space. They've invested for counseling centers um, and having people that, you know, maybe very pastorally minded, but are trained, um, trained, Uh licensed counselors in those spaces, getting to speak into people's lives from a holistic perspective. Mm, Um, And so honestly, I, I think that conversation is only happening more Mm. um, and churches are making space for that in ways that are really encouraging. And um, yeah, there has been definitely a deficit in the past, but um, at least from my vantage point, every church that I've engaged with has had really great resources for that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. This might be a hard one to answer. Why do we think that that's becoming more of a conversation? If if we thought churches didn't do this well before, or just culture in sure. general didn't do this well before, what's uh, what's kind of bringing it more to mm. the forefront, do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's a generational shift. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, honestly, I think there are more, not only is it getting talked about more, but I do think there are more mental health issues um, that are driven by a hyper, um, like, internet connectedness and even the globalization of the marketplace. Like, you're competing with everyone. You're right, um, right. You know, every, everyone is competition, and I think we have seen spikes in, you know, anxiety and depression and um, yeah, so it's not it's not just that it is more talked about, but they're also just more prevalent mm-hmm. um, and more mm-hmm. unavoidable. Um, and, and I think that the younger generations, millennials and Gen Z are talking about it because they don't really have a choice. Um, and, <laughs> right. and they're like, you know, this is something we we are experiencing in our day to day lives. We can't pretend it's not happening. Yeah, right. Let's make sure there's resources for it. 
So one of the things you wrote down, uh, conversation around these, this uh, makeover movement. Can you talk the to us a little more? The maker the, oh, the movement. maker, the maker movement. Yes. Okay, so what, what's, what's going on there? What's that all about? Okay, so I do believe that there has been a shift in how we approach the working world in a post-20... 2008 like disillusionment world Mm -hmm. where there isn't really that promise of you know pay your dues to the career machine and you know in 10 years you'll get promoted and then you'll you'll eventually work you at the ladder and you're going to live your dream job Um, I that is just has broken down and I think Mm. these generations of the working world don't believe in that system anymore Mm. and as a result are turning more towards entrepreneurial ventures where Mm. they're building their own thing they're inventing something new they're starting their own company they're um, yeah, looking for a job where they can still be flexible and have meaning in their lives and do other things. Um, and I think that has really shifted, yeah, shifted the working world towards this more entrepreneurial side mm. of things rather than, you know, I'm just going to jump on board this career track. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. You talk also about a uh, culture of, of organizations mm-hmm. and, and of uh, oftentimes we think about our dream job being linked to a salary, right? right? And salary is important. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah, pay sure. the bills. You need to eat. <laughs> yeah. But, but it also, uh, we all know a lot of people who work for a ton of money and, yeah. uh, and a ton of hours and a ton of unhealthiness. Yeah. yeah. How can you uh, coach someone to evaluate the mm-hmm. culture and what le- where would you put that on the pecking order of importance as someone's looking for their yeah. jobs? I mean, I guess if you even look at like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right. like, yeah, you need to have have a job that is going to take some of those base level anxieties like off the table for yeah. you. So you need to have a job where you can pay your bills and live in a place where you're not afraid of uh, like being broken into or yeah, something. Right, you know, right. you need to have get those base level things taken care of. But I think beyond that, it's really just doing kind of a deep dive into your own priorities and your own sense of calling mm-hmm. um, and then find a role that is able to support that. Um, And so that could look like a bunch of different things. Maybe someone's dream job is having does, you know, is going to be wrapped up in this specific salary marker. And that's what they're going to need to feel fulfilled or even have room for philanthropic Mm. um, adventures or whatever. But um, for a lot of people, it just it comes down to your own sense of personal calling and finding a role that will support that. Which which makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's so rare for people to actually do that? Because I feel like I in my role and you touched on a little bit, sometimes pastors will put themselves in the seat of counselor when they shouldn't. Oh, absolutely. You know? Like yeah. I think I think pastors need to get much more comfortable saying this requires a professional. I might diminish Right, exactly. Yeah. You're not <laughs> diminished in your role as a pastor. But I do get to hear a lot of stories and I feel very grateful for that. I feel like I often meet people who feel trapped and have felt trapped for yeah. decades. Yeah. I'm like, why have you not ventured right. into and a lot of its fear and a lot of its totally. well we got mouse to feed and four one K and blah 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 right. blah. But yeah. why do you think it's so rare for people to take that deep dive sometimes? Oh, I think the fear thing is huge. Um, I I think people, to your point, people settle into roles because there is this fear base, like, uh, I won't be taken care of, or Mm. what if I lose sight of who I am, or Mm. like, honestly, these very real questions that are driving people to, right, settle into roles that they might not actually feel like they're really thriving in, but they don't, they don't feel like they can have a choice. Um, Yeah, that just feels like too big of a step. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we're so grateful that you've been here. We love to give people an opportunity. We never know who's out there listening, right? Like yeah. someone in a car. But to what you've been touching on, mental health and work and all this intersection, that person out there sitting in their car just really discouraged right yeah. now going, I don't know. I love what she's saying, but right. man, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying yeah. to do all I can to, to just keep my head above water. Could you yeah. speak some encouragement to those people oh, out there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
Man, I think the first thing I want to say is that, like, it's just going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds so trite. Hmm. Um, I, I think the the image that I get is from the story of Ruth, actually. There is, um, like, this really beautiful imagery of how God so sovereignly provided in Ruth's life, where she is, you know, marginalized and vulnerable and needs to be able to eat. Right. Um, and there's this phrase that just keeps coming back throughout her story, like this thread of, this phrase, it just so happened. Mm-hmm. Um, like it just so happened that Ruth was in this field. It just so happened that Boaz was walking past. It just so happened that she was given favor in this aspect of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that just speaks so to the heart of a very tender and intentional God that, um, you know, you're not winging it. Like there is right. a sovereign kindness um, that is over you right now, even if circumstances do not feel ideal, even if, you know, the job hunt process has been really painful. Mm. Um, you know, you're, you're not alone. That's really good. That's good. If people want to connect with you, how can they do so? Social media, blog, whatever else it might be. Yes. Um, oh, my goodness. So you could come visit me. <laughs> oh at, <laughs> I, I love it. New friends. Uh, you could come visit me at 25 North Coworking. Um, once a month, we have free Friday. It's the awesome. third Friday of every month. You can come visit. We'll hang out. You can have endless coffee. It'll be great. Um, or you can come um, read our blog, which is Good Neighbors. Um, it's mm. at medium.com. So it's medium like the middle-sized bear of the Goldilocks bears. Um <laughs> Medium, yeah. medium.com slash good neighbors is where you can catch more of our writing. That's awesome. Well, Sari, thank you uh, so much for doing this. This was great. Thanks so for doing good. You're what? the best. <laughs> this is so fun. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. We'll have you back. Well, uh, we're grateful for you to join us. Again, Free and Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. You listen to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. That music can only mean one thing. It's the end of the show. Internet, interweb, sorry, interweb insanity, internet insanity. This is the part of the show. We always end every show the same way. Uh, PJ? Should we? Should we? I end? think so. I think we're still good on this. I think we're so? still good All on right. this. Yeah. PJ, our producer, producer John. Uh, nobody in his life calls him PJ except us. So uh, Yet. Yeah, we're going Yet. for it. We're going for it. Uh, producer John and also Keith Conrad, our executive producer, they... Uh, Casey? Casey, <laughs> shouldn't he Comic actually be the con man? Shouldn't he be producer Keith? He could be PK. Yeah, but that's a pastor's kid, and I we know, don't. But that would be the funny. Like we don't want to invoke that on anybody. <laughs> that's not fair. So they pick out stories that uh, that are are uh, just crazy stories from the internet, and then they come up with some uh, some drops, if you will, some. <laughs> Uh, that you and I, it's usually the Simpsons or something else. And we go, oh, okay. So that's the way this works if you're new to the show. So we're going to read these sight unseen and hope they go well. Why don't you go first? Why don't you go nope. first? Why nope. don't you go ahead and like, subscribe, review? Why don't you go ahead and... Uh... No, I'm just saying it back. I'm just saying it back to you. <laughs> Michigan, America's high five. Uh, family's shocked to find space gear crashed onto their property. Hmm. <laughs> that photo's crazy. Nancy Welke said she heard something crash into her property in the Saginaw and Gratiot County line around 845. Would you have called that Gratiot, by the way? I was just you, thinking that. Well, I, was looking at, I probably would have gone with Gradiot. Gradiot. Or Gradiot. I probably would have what everyone says. Gratiot County 911 confirms they are investigating. Welke says when she went outside, she found a device that appeared to be from outer space. Welke said the device was still making noise. That's oh terrifying. Goodness. The device had the wording Samsung Space Selfie on it. What? Earlier in the week, Samsung Electronics unveiled the world's first selfie sent to space, captured by actor, model, and philanthropist Kara... Do you know that name? 
Delavine. Delavine? Delavine. I don't know. Sure. And shown for the first time during a celebrity-filled event at the newly opened Samsung KX Experience Space. I could not care less. Samsung says the selfie is the first of many that Samsung will lift into the stratosphere this month as a part of Space Selfie, a mission to give everyone the chance to get their face in space. Samsung says images will then be selected at random, displayed on Galaxy S10 5G's 6.7-inch screen, and captured using a unique view of planet Earth as the backdrop. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. <laughs> Golly, I had no like, idea stuff like that was even going on. It sounds on. like a really cool thing until it crashes into somebody's uh, yeah. backyard. Yeah, what if that had landed on someone's head? Oh, this is interesting. You got your home state. The next one's my home state, New Jersey. <laughs> New Jersey family claims funeral home put wrong body in no. casket. When a Patterson family recently went into a funeral home's viewing room to see the body of their loved one, they realized it wasn't her in the casket. Oh my gosh. The family, who says there was a mix-up of bodies, is now demanding to know how, mu- how such an error could have happened. Doris Chapman died earlier this month. She was 73, according to her online obituary. You said that so cheerily. The family said that when an employee at the Bragg Funeral Home in Patterson brought them into a room for the private viewing, the body in the casket was wearing Chapman's clothes. <laughs> but when the family told the employee that a mistake had been made, the employee maintained the body was the correct one. The family told News 12, however, that the following day, Chapman's body was in the casket in time for the service. They added that at least one employee acknowledged that a mistake, in fact, had occurred. The family also noted that it plans to sue the funeral home. Well, chalk this one up to carelessness on my part. <laughs> I just love that when the family was like, hey, that's not her. They're like, no, that's her. That's her. You know, nope. We're her family. Nope. I think we know if that's her or not. Oh, Kentucky. Did you know that I was born in Kentucky? Were you actually? No, I was, okay. was not. No. I was like, well. Yes. <laughs> well. Well. <laughs> man breaks into home, makes two mayonnaise sandwiches. Gross and gross. <laughs> Officials from the Laurel County Sheriff's Department said a house was broken into early Saturday morning. Officials said the owner of the home woke up to noises coming from his kitchen and found a man making two mayonnaise sandwiches. The owner did not know the man, but described him as being about six feet tall and 220 pounds. Police said the suspect told the homeowner if he left the house, would he, the homeowner, clean up the mess? <laughs> the suspect then left the home before police arrived, leaving behind a coffee mug, loose change, and his wallet with an ID. Deputy Gilbert Asiardo said even though the suspect is not in custody, police do not believe the public is in any danger. Just, uh... Threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> I was waiting for the point of alcohol or drugs to come in there. There's no, no just a love of mayonnaise. New York ex-arm wrestling champ mom accused of selling bogus apricots from God cancer cure. That's my mom. There's a lot in that sentence. Yeah. Uh, a former arm wrestling world champion and his mother are facing charges after police say they were selling a bogus cancer cure dubbed apricots from God Jeez. on the internet. Authorities say 51-year-old Jason Vale was charged with selling apricot seeds as a cure for cancer on his website. He and his mother allegedly promoted them as being the answer to cancer. Yeah, rhymes. Uh, it does, it does. Officials say that when the federal law enforcement officers arrived at his mother's house, they instead found drums of liquid determined to be hazardous materials. Oh, boy. Uh, the city's Department of Environmental Protection was called to remove the dangerous substance. Uh, vale was convicted of a similar scam in 2003. No. If you'll excuse me, I have to appear in a tortilla in Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, last but not least. Oh, gosh. We're coming back. Last but not least, we're going to England. Dogs in tutus delay Norwegian air flight. 
We've all been there. Yeah. French Bulldogs wearing tutus have delayed a flight from Gatwick Airport. A number of emotional support dogs were traveling in passengers' hand luggage on a Norwegian air flight destined for Austin, Texas. Uh, a spokesman for Norwegian Air said the captain decided to offload the, quote, distressed dogs and their owners. Aw. Norwegian Air said emotional support dogs for people with mental or emotional disabilities are allowed on direct flights to and from the U.S., excluding flights to the U.K. Pictures on social media show the dogs being carried in Haldals? Haldals? I don't know what that is. And wearing tutus. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. That's good. And don't call me Shirley. That's kind of a nice one to end with. Yeah. Usually it's murder or drugs or something. <laughs> dogs in tutus. Someone's t- tuning in right now. They're like, usually it's murder <laughs> or drugs. What happened but to AIM 1160? They ask that every day. Well, join <laughs> us tomorrow from 4 to 6. If you missed any of today's show, you can find it on our podcast. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life.